Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of It's Kind of Spooky. I am your host, Charles Somerville, joined again by my sister, Katie Heiss. Um, it's been a, this week has been a year. Yeah, no kidding. Um, we, we took some time off uh, to record uh, for the holiday, for uh, the election. I had black mold in my apartment. Um, it's, it's, it's been a week. Um, so we're finally getting back to the Texarkana Moonlight Murders Part 2. Hey, guys, uh, just uh, like the first episode, uh, there's a content warning on this one. Uh, there's going to be graphic violence, uh, talk of sexual assault, and suicide. Uh, so if that is something that you guys are sensitive to, I would jump ahead to the next episode. Uh, so in the first episode, we covered the first uh, three uh, canonical crimes uh some of the investigation who was kind of leading that and our speculation as to what was going on with those i like that you refer to them as canonical which is to imply that there's fan fiction versions of the crimes as well i'm here for that i mean i'm not i strongly discourage are fan fiction crimes copycats yes Okay, well then, in that case, I strongly discourage any fan fan yes, or having like, to do uh, with the Texarkana Moonlight Murders or that or murders. Like, that or like their uh, like speculated ones that are connected. And yeah, there, there I are knew what you meant, Charlie. Sincerely, I knew what you meant. I was making a joke because this is a podcast. Well, we need to sit down and discuss this thing called humor, which um, we yeah, we need to have a long like discussion about it and. You know, just how can how you can improve your basic fundamental understanding of what humor is. How I can improve it. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I'll just go climb under a rock then. It's fine. Okay. Talk about your damn murders. Talk about my damn murders. All right. The last crimes we talked about were the murders of uh, Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin, uh, our youngest victims. Uh, and really the last time our... Uh, our killer really maintains his like full modus operandi. So as we mentioned in the last episode, uh, Texarkana has gone full lockdown. Like uh, they are closing up shop like we did uh, earlier this year. You don't go out past a certain time. There's curfews. If you are a young person leaving an establishment, you have to be walked out to your car by an adult. If uh, you are going out, you have to go out in groups of like three or more people. A lot of teenagers were carrying pistols or rifles with them. Cops were hanging out in lovers' lanes with um together. Uh, like yeah. Yeah. They're specifically like younger members of police forces are hanging out in cars trying to get uh trying to ambush the fucking can you imagine how awkward that would be? Because you know there's no there's no women on these uh on these police rural forces. police forces. So you have these two guys just in a car being like uh, <laughs> Can John, I can I tell uh, two guys sitting in a squad car five feet apart because they're not gay? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I I was gonna take it uh, in the direction of uh, that's how a lot of uh guys kind of realized what they uh what they were about is that inside it's like John, no we're supposed to be hooking up with the uh, phantom killer, but uh, I'm feeling some type of way. Let us yeah, that night stick. You know, these things are fluid. These things are yeah. flexible. <laughs> so glad you ignored my uh, let me slob on that nightstick. Um. Yeah, uh, I wasn't gonna <laughs> touch that with a six foot pole. Wasn't gonna happen. But but no, I um uh, I appreciate the, the idea of all these 
It's funny because you country. just said that's the tea while sipping out of a mug, but I know for a fact that that mug contains nothing but Red Bull and vodka. Yeah, and it's 10 a.m. Yeah. You, I'm sorry, guys, just ahead of time if this has a lot of chaotic energy, but neither of us are used to being awake this early on a Saturday, let oh, alone having man. to speak to other humans. So, Right. So the reason why all of that important is it beca- is because it started to limit the killer's victim pool. There are no more people on letters looking. So there are no more, or there are, but they're all caught. And they're yeah. exploring their ever-expanding sexual horizons. Yeah. Yes, Katie? Well, I was going to say, and also just kind of the problem is that if they had been doing these sting operations and the media had been totally hush-hush and quiet about it or didn't know about it, that would be one thing. It might have even worked. But... Oh, the, media, the media was kind of sort of being hush-hush about it. Like it, to the but it was after, common knowledge. It was common yeah. knowledge that they were doing stakeouts, is what I'm saying. Like word yeah. that they were doing stakeouts got out, which defeats the point of a stakeout. That's just because uh John and Roger wound up leaving their wives for each other, uh and eloping. It was a big scandal. Yeah, it was rough. Uh we're gonna find out later that there were two thoughts named John and Roger. Good for them. Doing they found their truths. Yeah, right. Uh it, also part of it was like I'm sure the killer noticed what was going on because he he apparently he was a, apparently fairly choosy. Those limitations are what kind of sparked the big method change in the fourth set of murders or fourth fourth attack. Uh, so on May May third, sometime before uh, of nineteen forty. So on Friday, May third, sometime before nine p.m. Uh, Virgil Stark, age 37, a farmer and welder, was in his uh, modest ranch-style house on a 500-acre farm off Highway 67, of almost 10 miles uh, northeast of Texarkana. Talking open floor plan here. How many square feet the kitchen been Man, remodeled? So they didn't give any specific details in the in the book I was reading. But based off the description of the cops, of um, the firefighters, and stuff like that, I would say it's probably it's probably about maybe a thousand to twelve hundred square feet uh, okay. house. So it's, it's a. But also keep in mind this is uh, nineteen forty six. Yeah. So housing it's a big is house kind in nineteen forty six. Yeah. So it's probably closer to maybe seven or uh, seven or eight. Uh, but it's just kind of the description of it is what kind of makes me think it's. What I love about recording with you this early in the morning is I was just making a passing joke and you had that information ready for me. Um, mm-hmm. So don't don't fucking at me. So the interesting thing about all of this is that earlier this day, uh, two Texas Rangers were actually beating down the highway by this house or this road because they needed to turn in their monthly expenses. And if they didn't get them in by a certain time, they would just be out that money, right? And on their way to the um, sheriff's office to do that, they drove by his house, and uh, they noticed a parked vehicle about um, a quarter mile away from the house. And their first initial thought was, as soon as we get these expenses turned in, we need to come back and check it out. Uh, but they were like, I don't want to be out however much money. I need to go check that out. Yeah. Or I want to go deal with that first. So that may have actually been a fatal mistake on their part. Um, bureaucracy ruining things yeah even as far back as the 40s 
right? Also, keep in mind, cars weren't exactly like like amazing back then, so they may have just ran out of gas. So it may not have been anything, but they yeah, still probably said speeding them. down the road, and I'm like, 1946. What were they doing? Like 45? Probably 25. They're still, you know, they're still going through a dirt road, uh, uh, backwards rural town so it's probably oh i didn't think about that dirt road on the 1940s suspension yeah oh yeah they're probably doing 25 tops everybody's um, got back problems yeah we are fucking rambling virgil stark after a long day's work sat down uh to his favorite weekly radio show and his wife kate age 36 gave him a heating pad for her sword back because of all that driving down the dirt roads with friends. Because he's a farmer yeah. doing backbreaking work. Uh, yeah. 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 I guess. He's, he sat in his favorite armchair in the sitting room, which is just off to the kitchen in the bedroom. So, yeah, it's probably about a six, 700 square, uh, square foot house. Um, well, Kate was in her bedroom, because he was in 1946, two separate bedrooms, believe it to be herself, uh, in her nightgown. She heard something from the backyard, asked Virgil to turn down the radio. Seconds later, while Virgil was reading uh, the May 3rd edition of the Texarkana Gazette, two shots were fired uh, into the back of his head from a closed double window, three feet away. Kate and I did not hear the gunshots. Uh, instead, she heard what's, uh, someone's breaking a glass. She thought Virgil had dropped something and went to see what happened. As she entered the doorway of the living room, she saw Virgil stand up and then suddenly slumped back into his chair. She then saw blood running down um, his face, lifted his head up. Uh, when she realized he was dead, she ran to the phone to call the police. You uh, you looked like you had a question there that you wanted to... Uh... I hear the gunshot. So so this is actually kind of a thing, right? Um, at this point in time, uh, a little bit before this, the local newspapers and some other newspapers had said that the killer's weapon of choice was the uh, thirty two right? Was the was the uh, Colt pistol right? Yeah. A man a little bit earlier in the week was uh, stopped as he was driving down the highway with a twenty two uh, rifle in the back seat of his car. Yeah. Uh, the bullets that would be used to kill uh, Virgil and to wound Kate Stark would be from a twenty two rifle. Okay. And so this is, with, like we said in the first episode, is this a case of a witness or person of interest who was questioned once, dismissed, and then never seen or heard from again? Yeah, they just dipped out. Okay. He gave the last name to Smith, cops could him fight him. Well, there's your guy. Right, right? but the issue is now, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into why uh, tracking like, that dude down would have been a pain in the ass later. To, to my original question, though. You'd still hear a twenty-two go off. We used to shoot them off in the backyard all the time. See, for we we had a a like several acres on which we yeah. grew up that we could fire on people, but I wasn't so, like shooting into my neighbor's yard or anything. But like we we used to shoot the twenty-twos all the time, so you would definitely hear that. There it's are loud, a couple ways. A twenty-two shot is louder than a glass breaking. There are a couple ways in which uh, that could have been suppressed, right? First of all, keep in mind that the powder loadage and a 22 uh, casing back then wasn't as uh, developed as it is now. So it also wouldn't have been as loud. The killer could have wrapped rags or towels around the muzzle to suppress the gunshot. She was also uh, pretty far away from like from where her husband was. Uh, a few rooms apart, door closed. I guess. Uh, but I, I, I don't buy the suppressor 
uh, explanation because it just it goes completely against the rest of his mo. Like mm-hmm. he comes in kind of ill prepared for these things. Yeah. Uh, and also, he, uh, the thought here is that he would have intended intended to kill her as well if he'd yeah. gotten the opportunity, also, which we're going to get so, to. But, getting, so why suppress the? Yeah, I'll I'll get into it. Also, huh. keep in mind, all of this is taken from a lady who was shot twice in the face. Yeah, okay, so maybe she did hear the gunshots and subsequent, I mean, like we said in the first episode, there's all sorts of issues with recall with witnesses and trauma. It was in the face from the same window. One bullet entered her right cheek and exited behind her left jaw and stamped several right? times. So much worse. She dropped her knees, but soon managed to get back to her feet. Wearing to get up through the care, uh, killer tearing loose uh, the rusted screen wire, leave the no screen porch. Through the back screen door, she heard the killer come through the bedroom, down the door, leaving behind a virtual river of blood. She's uh, who are not home. She ran another 50 yards to a A.B. Pratter's house. Pratter answered her usual. It's, it's well, literally, no it's, the, it's the virtual redneck at the now since killing two. Gives it to Pratter. Her house and then ran a football field. To get their attention and survive. This lady, and like, just slow clap it out for Starks. Another thing to keep in mind here is she never went into shock. The, the people at the hospital, uh, the people driving her, all were just like, she's semi-conscious, still shivering, she wasn't shaking anymore from fear. She wasn't, a conscious mind gave her tooth up. Uh, so she never really went into shock. That might have uh, saved her life. Miller County Sheriff, uh, Debbie Davis, who Head of the investigation operator, uh, which I'm not sure how much fucking information you're gonna get out of boring. So it's also worth mentioning that by the time the police got back to their house, the Stark's house was on fire. It was starting to catch fire. The reason for this is that heating pad that uh, Virgil had had a couple of exposed wires and some damage from the gunshot. Blood mixing with that set that that uh, armchair he was in on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the deputies went in to what was starting to burn down, realized there was a clear-cut man's boot print in blood, took out a knife, cut up the manolian floor tile that it was on, and took it outside while also trying to secure any physical evidence that they could that wouldn't, that they, like, wouldn't contaminate. Yeah. Um, so, so this is, are, to me, such was... a big shift from that first murder scene, how they were like, hey, everybody, help us push this car, like... And, yeah. like, feel free to trample all of the muddy footprints and tire tracks. Like, it, this is such a shift from that, because instead it's like, oh my god, we absolutely have to get this footprint and this evidence and this evidence and this evidence before this house burns down. Yeah, keep in mind, also, if this is, uh, yeah. uh, I doubt the deputies would have been like, we need to get this shit. Yeah. Um, it was also quoted by um, by uh, the lead Texas Ranger in charge, uh, Gonzalez, that uh, Kate Stark, like, he had no idea how how she survived. Due to all yeah. the blood loss, everything that happened, he, he was just like, it's a fucking miracle. She's alive. Yeah, this is one tough lady. So one of the things to keep in mind here uh, is that the Starks were the only people in that part of Texarkana, in that rural area, that had their own uh, crank phone. And because of which, pretty much all of their neighbors understood that the Starks had their own home phone, which is very rare at the time. Uh, most people in the community shared a phone uh, and each person had their own kind of ring, right? 
So based off all that information, the uh, law enforcement who were investigating had to immediately change their profile because they originally, like, this is someone from the town based off how well he knows the roads, how well he knows traffic. Uh, what I think is more likely is that it is someone who drew th- who drove through Texarkana a lot or was originally from Texarkana but moved out either during the First World War or the Second World War and wasn't present when the Starks moved in and had that second phone. Mm-hmm. So someone who had moved back to a close enough, like, close enough area that they felt comfortable hunting in Texarkana weren't a part of Texarkana. Yeah. And so this is the problem and the most frustrating thing about this story is that this is kind of where it tapers off because there's not another attack after this. And um, the investigation eventually kind of goes cold because there's only so much in 1946 you can do to try and hunt for an unknown suspect across potentially county and state lines because there's no more attack so the assumption is that he leaves yeah and um there's also and we're gonna we're gonna transition into some of the investigation and some of the theories surrounding this right now one of the i'm gonna cover like conspiracy theories first Mm -hmm. uh because my favorite one is the stupidest one is that uh is that the Texarkana uh, Moonlight Murder, or Phantom, or whatever the fuck, mm-hmm. is uh, Zodiac. Because he's got... most similar. Yeah, and he got uh, he got popped for a crime, did enough time to separate him between uh, 1946 to 1960, 1970, when the Zodiac, uh, yeah, please Google that. Um, yeah. You keep talking, I'm going to do my research. <laughs> so he got popped for a crime uh, and was away long enough to uh, essentially have to take that time off and first as you said canonical uh, Zodiac murder happened in December 68 so that's a 22 year gap yeah so he would have been why in this his, theory is dumb he would have been in his 50s uh, so a thing to keep in mind here is typically serial killers stay within a similar age bracket to their own uh, they don't, one, because being older makes it harder to corral people physically. Uh, but there's yeah. also something to be said if he went to prison, which prison is one of the best trade schools in the world. Uh, that may explain why the Zodiac killings were so much more contained than the, and well, and essentially more organized than the uh, Texarkana. One, he would have had about 20 years of maturing to do, getting his shit together, and planning out his next set of crimes. Well, and you know what uh, I always say is that nothing matures you faster than spending some time in prison. Like, I... There's, I like, there's been a lot of psychological... Well, what I was going to say is my problem with that theory is that, like, there's been studies that are like, well, this is, it is the best trade school as far as teaching people how to, how, how to be fair. Make crimes. Uh, you, you know, like, it is that, but it also has this effect that you see in people like Charles Manson, where it's also incredibly emotionally stunting. There's not a lot yeah. of maturing that goes on behind yeah. bars, so I don't necessarily know how much water that holds. Yeah, it would have to be extenuating circumstances. Uh, one of the other theories that I heard is that the Texarkana uh phantom and uh zodiac are related that uh maybe 
Tech, maybe Texarkana is like Zodiac's father or older brother. And he essentially instructed him on how to commit these crimes because he so got too old make, to do them himself. So that would make the Texarkana Phantom Ted Cruz's grandfather? Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Just keep in mind, that's a 20-year window, right? So we're assuming that the Texarkana is in his 30s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, has a kid, moves that kid to California, and the entire time is committing smaller crimes on the side, but is essentially training his son uh, to also yeah. commit this crime. It's like that episode of Criminal Minds. There's several episodes. Of... Dude, oh my gosh, don't even get me started. But yes, there's several episodes of Criminal Minds that are like this. So that is that is one of the theories that I heard, which again, I also have issue with that. Um, yeah, there are several issues with that. Yeah, also, one, because the uh, Zodiac is also reported to be about in his 30s. So that time frame doesn't really match up. Um, also, where the fuck does that cipher come in at? And all the other shit. Um, there's, there's a, a, well, I mean, there's all sorts of theories about like whether, and we can do a Zodiac episode if you really feel like fucking up our lives. But um, the there's all sorts of theories about like maybe the cipher and stuff like that had nothing to do with the Zodiac crimes. Like maybe it was. Um, Oh, what I was just listening to a series on of uh, the Yorkshire Ripper and how like the calls and the letters that the police got were not from the Yorkshire Ripper, but they lumped them in to their investigation and it wound up totally derailing their investigation for like three years. Um, mm -hmm. So, so th there's theories that that might have been what was going on with Zodiac. Um, there's some evidence that they were connected, but um, who knows? But I I think that while the MO is similar, it's not unique. This MO does pop up in other places, and MOs like this pop up in other places. So to be like, well, the Zodiac and the Texarkana Phantom have lovers' lanes and uh, like shootings in cars in common, that's kind of really where the resemblance stops. Yeah, because the Zodiac also stabbed several of his victims. Yeah. Uh, which Texarkana didn't. Uh, and yeah. while you can, you could make a very loose argument that the stabbings were related to the sexual assaults that the Texarkana... Like Kikarism? Yeah, I was about to say. But the issue is, is um, there wasn't any real sexual components to the, yeah. to the Zodiac killings. And it uh, seems to be, while it does taper off in the Texarkana murders like it's there from the beginning but then it kind of tapers off i don't think yeah. that that because that urge is going away i think it, it seems to be more like because he keeps losing control of the situation around him yeah you know? and what what also may have happened is he realized that the the murder aspect of it is what like got him there and then rolled up on the nearest like sex worker or went back to his wife or whatever, which is also a thing that you can see in several serial killers. Yeah. Um, if they didn't just do it to the people. Uh, yeah. But now, as far as... Uh, um, the, oh, I was just going to say, like, I I, I don't really have a, a theory on this other than agreeing with what the police assess, which is that this is probably someone who was vaguely familiar with the area, maybe grew up there and then moved away and moved back. But then they they did not stick around because these the pathology of this doesn't say like oh yeah and this person just stopped for no reason. So, we're, let's talk about suspects now. 
So in the Hollis and Larry case, no suspects were apprehended or questioned. Because uh, like I mentioned in the first part is the uh, police immediately were like, it's either it's either one of your respective spouses or it's someone you know in your car. Uh, despite the fact that both people were essentially getting a um, amicable divorce, right? Uh, they didn't really share any assets. There wasn't anything to really be lost. And the Griffin and Moore cases, over 200 people were questioned, and just about the same number, uh, just about the same number of false tips came through. So they never really taken into custody. Or three suspects were taken into custody with bloody clothing. Two of whom were released after officers received um, satisfying explanations, which could have been anything. Really, that's not really listed. The remaining suspect was held in Vernon, Texas, for further investigation, but was later cleared. Most of their excuses were probably, I got into a bar fight, or I was on the farm, or something like that. Keep in mind, bar fights are hella common in uh, Texarkana. Yeah. And the Martin and Booker case, a taxi driver, which is uh, the one I mentioned beforehand, the man who was questioned multiple times, uh, took a polygraph multiple times, uh, and failed, uh, the reasoning for it mostly being he's a he's a black man being questioned by white cops about the murder of two white kids. Um, he's got to be super nervous and um, polygraphs really only read stress levels. And he was well, also, and also he, he was having an affair. He was lying. He was drunk woman. that night and was having an affair with married woman, which is why he kept lying about where he was. So there were some extenuating circumstances. He was later cleared. Uh, I'm not going to say the guy's name, mostly because. Um, I don't see a point in bringing him into it because he was just some yeah, poor like, dude. Yeah, he was just some poor dude who was off doing other stuff and got kind of... I mean, I'm granted, that. it's unsavory, but I mean, like... it's There's a significant difference between though, murder and going like, to pound yeah, I got drunk and was having an affair and versus, like, uh, and I murdered four, five people. You know, like, yeah, there, there's a difference there. Big difference between pound town and uh, murder town. Uh, on Are Saturday, you, happy with that? you gonna yeah. leave that let, let that linger there for a second. Yeah. Okay. On uh, Saturday, no. April twenty seventh, a man was arrested in Corpus Christi, Texas, which isn't too far away from where I am, for trying to sell a saxophone. Remember, Betty Jo Booker was a saxophone player and had a specific kind. Uh, he's a thirty year old man who walked into a music store, uh, tried to sell a saxophone. The music store owner uh, and his clerk were made aware of, hey. If anyone's trying to sell a saxophone, like you report it. When he asked where he got it, the guy said it didn't matter, uh, became very confrontational, and then dipped out. Later, he would be uh, uh, found in a hotel room with some blood on him, a 45 caliber revolver from a pawn shop, uh, which is where he sold the uh, uh, saxophone to. Now, keep in mind, we know via hindsight that... Um, Betty Jo's specific saxophone was still found in her uh, leather case, uh, not too far away from where she was found. Uh, I still believe this dude killed someone. Yeah, he probably well, he probably did something unsavory to get this saxophone. Um, thank you, by the way. Now I have careless whispers stuck in my head. But um, the saxophone is an interesting detail to me because it was known that they were looking for someone who had her saxophone because they couldn't find it. Right. Mm-hmm. They searched the area around the crime scene, couldn't find it. It became known that they were like, well, whoever has her saxophone is the killer. And then they find the saxophone in a place they had already searched. So a theory there is that the killer 
had gotten wind like the police are looking for this piece of evidence and mm-hmm. whoever's got it that's a done deal and then went back and retroactively put it put it back where they would, might find it later because it was too dangerous to keep on them i guess the question probably also comes into that is what how the sex phone was originally found because thrown in place looks very dis- different mm-hmm. uh there's different um has different damage to the environment surrounding it yeah. so it, it, I without pictures of where it was found or having found it myself or seeing it I can't really make a viable claim on that was it delicately planted at the scene or was it yeeted in that general direction like yeah. I, I don't want it okay. yeet, you know uh and starts this bitch empty um <laughs> There's a uh, side note in a D and D. There's a, uh, a set of spells called Power Word. There's Power Word Kill, Power Word Stun, Power Word. Uh, uh, and a game I was playing, my Power Word was so. Imagine being stared at by like a level twenty warlock, and then all you hear is E, and then you die. Yeah, that is that not how that happened? Like the anyway. so, like the way the way I uh, flavored it was the soul literally is flow as a uh, thrown from their body. Uh, Sorry, I'll get back to the series. You may uh, there. We've mentioned Criminal Minds, which is my core obsession, and then D&D, which is yours. So. Yeah, guys, let us know if you want to see a, a horror or true crime-themed D&D or tabletop game, because, like, they exist. I will learn the rule sets, and I will organize. I think that would be hella fun. Uh, just let me know if that's something you guys want to see. I'll make it happen. Uh, in the Stark cases, back on topic, uh, several people were found in the vicinity of the crime. Uh, stopped and questioned, uh, about 12 of them were detained. Uh, they were all released later, uh, just due to evidence checking out, or uh, alibi checking out. So there were a couple crime suspects. Uh, Max Hackett, a 33-year-old Arkansas State Police officer, a rookie at the time, realized that a car had been stolen on the night of the murders. And that previously stolen car had been found abandoned on Friday, June 28th, uh, 1946. Props to Matt Tackett for fucking putting that shit together. So he staked out the car until someone came back to it and then arrested a 21-year-old woman, Peggy Sweeney. She had just gotten married in Shreveport, which again isn't too far away from where I am. Uh, but her husband was currently in Atlanta, Texas. That is kind of far away from me. Trying to sell another stolen car, uh, which I... I love that she immediately was like, yeah, my husband's not home. What's he doing? Selling a stolen car. Selling another, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, she is um, not a ride or die. No, she, I don't, I don't know if she's not ride or die or no, she's just not stupid. Because, like, there's, I mean, yeah, so they, we'll get into it, right? She further incriminates herself in some of this shit. So, Tackett picks up her husband uh, whenever he can, or as soon as he gets the chance to. So the guy was essentially wearing cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, and, you know the. Um, yeah, the Texas uniform, didn't they? The get Texas thing at the border when you were driving down there to move. I turn it down. Like you cross uh, the Red River and they hand you the cowboy uniform and a hat, and you were just like, "Yeah, okay, I know for a fact you secretly wear it when we're not skyping." <laughs> I don't wear them at all. Uh, so the man that he arrested, then uh, keep in mind, Taggett essentially tracked this fucker down to a bus station, followed him back to his apartment. The man realized he was being tracked and Taggett kind of picked up on that and just circled back around and found the man climbing down the fire escape. Taggett is Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, is he played by Chuck Norris? Uh, 
the man was a Yul Sweeney. Uh, soon after the arrest, he reportedly made uh, what might have been incriminating statements about being a murderer, such as a fear of being sentenced to the electric chair when police questioned him. Sweeney's wife, Peggy, uh, confessed in a great detail that she that he was a phantom killer and that he killed Betty Jo Booker, Paul Martin. Uh, her story changed in some detail across several confessions. Uh, conversations with the police believe she was withholding some facts due to fear of Sweeney or fear of incriminating herself. You were like, so yeah, I don't know if she's not right or die. She immediately sold him out. <laughs> I'm getting into it. I'm getting into it. Let me, let me get there. Uh, I'll tell you when we're in it. Police were able to independently verify some details of Peggy's confession, such as locating victim's possessions in a location she had said Yule had discarded it, a shirt with a laundry mark, uh, perhaps linked to the Starks case, found in Sweden's possession. Uh, the link, it wasn't immediately like proven, it wasn't definitively proven. Peggy's confession was most uh, put part in the entire case. Uh, in 1946, by law, Peggy could not be forced to testify against her husband. And because uh, she was considered an unreliable witness, Ewell was not arrested for the murders. Instead, only circumstantial evidence, Sweeney was sent to prison as an habitual offender. Partha Presley reported in his uh, 2014 book, so that's Sheriff Presley, several investigations in the Sweeney case later said that the habitual offender sentence was effectively a plea bargain. Even though the case files indicated no such agreement was reached, formally Sweeney was considered about being sentenced to death for the murders, so agreed not to contest habitual offender charges, and in fact tried to plead guilty even though the habitual offenders cases required a, a, jury, a jury trial. So essentially, Sweeney was probably yeah, in the Texas. Like, he did it. He did it. Sweeney was probably right? in the Texas camp. Yeah. Like, that's that's the answer to this unsolved mystery, is that this dude did it, and for, like, legalese reasons, we just it's just not official. Mm-hmm. Well, then I feel is a that... whole lot better about this, because I know you like Unsolved, and Mom loves Unsolved. I, I like don't like Unsolved. Unsolved makes me mad. Yeah, dri- they they drive me nuts. I need a narrative. I need to know how it ends. I'm well, I don't even care about unsolved, that. I, I just... So... Yeah, it's not so, even like, like I need it. a narrative. I just need to know what happened. Like, uh, because, well, okay, so... but that lines up, too, because they caught him on what? You said early June? Yeah. June 3rd is when uh, Hatchet, or Hackett talked to her and he mm-hmm. was out of town and then he came back so it's early june the, the given the pacing that's probably like he was in a little bit of a cooling off period between crimes mm-hmm. and then catching so, him prevented any further crimes that lines up perfectly with their theory about what happened to this guy so let me hit you with some of the complications of this right Google's fingerprints did not match any of the latent fingerprints of the Booker and Martin crime scenes. Keep in mind, that's when the crime scenes were actually being cordoned off. Texas Rangers were taking charge. FBI was taking charge. But Peggy that Sweeney, is also assuming that those latent pr- prints belong to the killer. Peggy Sweeney recanted her confession. Texas Rangers and Sheriff Bill Presley were not convinced Sweeney was the phantom for different reasons, not super listed, most of which are uh, they thought he was kind of stupid and wouldn't have been smart enough uh, to avoid the police for too long. Uh, Sweeney denied being the Phantom and never made a confession, which, no shit, Sherlock, Ted Bundy still says he didn't do it. Wait, he's dead now. Fuck it. But he, Officer... he didn't go to the chair kind of in denial about stuff and blame, well, and the ones he owned up to, he blamed on porn and things like that, so. 
fucking Twinkies, really, ma'am. Oh, yeah, but Twinkies, Twinkies have never made anyone kill anything, and porn doesn't make me murderous, okay? If anything, it, it fills me with a certain level of shame, which is Good. immediately Good. replaced by ejaculation. That might be the growing up Catholic part, though. I think it's the crusty hand towel next to my bed. <laughs> <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> I have to Gross. get you That's disgusting. <laughs> I may not cut that one, actually. It's your rep on the line, man. <laughs> Fucking care. No, only like 12 people listen to this shit. Fuck it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> shit, if more people start... No. I don't give a fuck. Officers including Bowie County Sheriff Presley and Miller County Sheriff um, Davis, Texas City Sheriff uh, of Police Runnels. And both state police depart, uh, departments worked day and night for six months trying to validate Peggy Sweeney's story of her husband's whereabouts. They deduced that Peggy was not telling the truth and that on the night of the murder of uh, Booker and Martin, the couple was sleeping in their car under a bridge near San Antonio. So there's kind of an issue. Uh, unknown as either a sick... What? What? How do you just want to know what type of detective work goes into determining that a couple was effectively being homeless and sleeping under a bridge? You ask a lot of... You, you show them a bunch of different pictures of different, like, under bridges, and be like, this is, this is a little familiar to you? When was the last time you stayed there? And just kind of cross-reference. I'm assuming. Or you ask the troll that was under it when the last time they saw them was. And the troll sounds uh, disturbingly like the voices my husband's been doing while practicing it, for a D&D campaign. And it requires three goats to be a sacrifice to it. Mm-hmm. Unknown as either a sick prank or a true confession, an anonymous woman contacted the family members of two of the victims, one in 1999 and another in 2000, apologizing for what her father had done. Yule Sweeney was not known to have ever had a dog. So, okay, but like, what? <laughs> Yeah, so maybe right. Maybe didn't do it. Yeah, I don't know. Were... Charlie, I don't know. I don't know who did it. Charlie, I'm so mad. I don't know who did it. Yeah, you're welcome. I gave you a clear cut conclusion, and then threw and then yanked in your it out face. of my hands. You gave me a satisfying ending, and then we're like, <laughs> just call me M Night Shyamalan. Nothing to that. Are you let that one serious? hang. Nope. Nope. I'm gonna oh. let you hang in the misery of that fucking asshole um all i'm saying is that glass could have had a better ending most of those movies could have a better ending and why were white people playing uh native american or indigenous people in um after the last year why were the uh, like dude don't even get me started on the avatar the last airbender movie it has that that argument has no place on this podcast but let me tell you i have some feelings about it okay so other suspects on November 5th, 1948, an 18-year-old freshman at the University of Arkansas, Henry Booker Duty Timson. <laughs> Duty. Yeah. Was found dead in his bed at home in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Washington County. Sheriff Bruce Tyler discovered that Timson had... What? <laughs> you, I didn't want to make fun of a victim. You made that happen. That was you. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. It's not well, my fault you have a silly name. We're getting into that. Tyson had pur- purchased cyanide of mercury on November 3rd, stating that he was going to use it for rat poison. A note was found reading, 
the opening to my box will be found in the following few lines. In a tube of paper is found rolled on color in dry sound. The head removes, the tail will turn, inside the sheet you yearn. Two bees mean a lot when they are together. These clues should lead you to it. Uh, what the fuck is with people in fucking cryptid notes? Like, oh, fucking, yeah. A noble sound excited. That That's why he was called Duty. He's a piece of shit. Piece of shit, less yeah. fucking cryptid notes. I, I thought he was a victim or like a tragic character, but even if he wasn't involved in the crime, like that is a pretentious ass suicide note. Fuck you. <laughs> a note was found inside a fountain pen marked BB. Uh, for a double board nib. Poison was found on the cap. The note inside the pen contained clues uh, to the combination of a lockbox. Not in the mood for playing games, the police forced the lockbox open. Inside was a viewmaster with several rolls of film of Mexico and a stack of papers under the stack of papers was a note confessing to the Texas mechanic killings. Okay. Keep and in I mind, this was in 19... This was in 1948, so he would have been 16. Wait. So you're uh, 16 while committing the crimes? Yes. That's not outside of the realm of possibility, actually. They thought they... Age all is the, the survived... hardest thing to determine. Well, keep in mind, all the uh, all the people who survived, so uh, Leary and um, Paulus were both like, this is a grown-ass man. Um, yeah, but... Very race, but... Paulus that's... also got his head bashed in, and Leary didn't have the most reliable... Yeah, like, but again, in, statement uh, anyway. in general, based off what we know, it is still probably unlikely that it was a 16-year-old. It probably, but, like, why the 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 elaborate suicide note and, like, the, the like, um, oh, what what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, the, the game left behind mm-hmm. for people to try and solve. Yeah, but typically. The scavenger hunt style thing. Yeah, I, but typically. It, it's confusing. Cool. Killers of criminals who typically do that shit are too egotistical to kill themselves. Yeah, it doesn't so, line up. So well, I'm gonna I get into it. Firstly, maybe this was a tragic, sad figure who sought some sort of significance in life and sought it in death, perhaps by claiming crimes he didn't do. That or just a twat. Yeah, you could just be a dick. It's fine. I mean, the type of person who's going to retroactively claim crimes like this anyway is probably not a terribly nice dude. And I'm not just saying that so I don't feel so bad for making fun of his name. Yeah, fuck him. Uh, yeah, fuck him. This, this is how the fucking letter read. I, to whom it may concern. This ah, is my fuck la- you. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is my last word to you fine people. Uh, and you are... I want to thank you all for the trouble that you have gone to to send me to college and to bring me up. You have really been wonderful. My thanks to Ella Lee, uh, Mrs. McGee, the owner of the house uh, he was rooming in, letting for, uh, for letting me stay with her during my college career, which I think was all of a year, and to Belva Joe, Mrs. McGee's 12-year-old daughter, Phoebe, for putting up with me the way she did. She had to know I had to know but I fell in love with her about a week ago. If she was older, I would have asked her to marry me. So the guy's a pedophile. Um, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, no one feel bad I about really this fucker thing. Yeah, right? Never uh, mind. Why, why did I take my own life? Well, <laughs> when you committed two double murders, <laughs> you I'm sorry, that's hilarious. <laughs> why, did I, why am I killing myself? Well, I'm glad you, you asked. asked. <laughs> like, what? 
Well, when you commit two, committed two double murders, uh, you would too. Yes, I did kill Van Gogh Booker and Paul Martin in the city park that night and killed uh, Mr. Stark uh, and tried to get Mrs. Stark. You wouldn't have guessed it. I did it. Mother was either asleep, out or asleep, and no one saw me do it. For the guns, I disassembled them and discarded them in different places. When I found which was already been done, please give the typewriter to Craig. Craig. Tennyson's older brother. Just, <gasps> the recording and, software is in on it. Right. And tell him that I hope that his child is a boy. It will help him in his work. Uh, everything can go... Yeah, he's also a little sexist, which can do. Can go whatever you uh, think it will do. Best except for the Viewmaster, which will go to Belle Joe. Please take my bankroll and give it to Daddy. Oh. Hmm. Thank you, sir. You feel good that's, about that? Yeah, that's what I imagine voices like. I just don't want to do that for this entire fucking thing. I think you should go to him and tell him I don't want the car now. Well, goodbye, everybody. See you sometime. If I make it the grade, which will be hard for me to make. H.B. Tennyson. See you sometime is not how you sign off a suicide letter. <laughs> that's just not how you do that. So... Tennyson wrote a bunch of fucking rough drafts with this shit in pencil, and then completely typed out the written copy. He should have kept going. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And so a bunch of newspapers essentially wrote, UA student found dead, another student uh, commits suicide. Printed words on a sign read, do not disturb, death in the making. Uh, he also wrote own epitaph, which read, here lies H.B. Tennyson, born February 12, 1930. Died October. Yeah. I share a birthday with a fucking squad. Fuck you also me. share a birthday with the drag queen Aquaria, like literally the same day. So, like, that kind of balances it out a little bit. Yeah, and Abraham Lincoln and Joe. Yeah, but more importantly, the drag queen Aquaria. Yeah, he committed suicide for the happiness, happiness of his family. May he rest in peace. Do your family not like you? Because, like, the cops are not going to catch you, bro. They're looking in the complete yeah. opposite direction. They're so, not going to okay. catch you. In all seriousness, though, other than the age problem, do you think he did it? Fuck no. Man. You don't think he did it? You think this is somebody just trying to claim something to make himself feel important at the end? I think he was a proto-incel. I mean, the dude had a thing for a fucking 12-year-old. Yeah, that's uh, a problem. Right, uh, and I honestly don't think this this uh, I'm gonna this is gonna so, sound like I don't think here's this an interesting thing, stones. But okay, for one, we did discuss how we don't. I don't necessarily think that the killer did have any stones. Yeah, right. So mm -hmm. so there's that, and then also he doesn't mention the first murder. He just says Betty Joe. He Booker. mentions Betty Joe and the the um, Starks. Well, keep in mind, right. also with this, is uh, age Betty, wise, he would have known Betty Joe, he would have known uh, Martin. Yeah. So those two are likely, but the Starks are unlikely, and because he was from Texarkana, he would have known about the Starks as well. Uh, another issue is. Yeah, but he would have also been a dumb 16 year old, which I feel like could account for a lot. Yeah, but he also, uh, another thing to keep in mind is the uh, bullets used on Betty Joe and Paul Martin. Were the same you was the same firearm used on um the previous murders the previous murders but which she doesn't claim at all which doesn't make if you're gonna claim two double murders why not claim all of them and that's so weird 
I think the reason why he took credit for Betty Joe is because they're close them. enough to, yeah, or he was aware of them, and they're close enough to his age bracket that he thought people would believe it, and then starts because they're the most recent. Yeah, they were the last crime, and there was a survivor. Hmm. Yeah, uh, officers found more notes uh, through Sheriff Kreider. Uh, they had no idea which order many of those were written in because they were all like undated and shittily written, and the guy was a twat. The he was never a suspect, and that detailed investigation, and like so he was never suspected. Officer Matt Tackett left El Dorado, Arkansas, to investigate the incident. Texas Ranger Stuart Stanley was also sent by Gonzalez to investigate the suicide. Fingerprints were taken from Tennyson to see if they matched uh, any of the stuff from the uh, Booker uh, Martin Booker murders. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still unclassified. Uh, I'm going to put ten to one say that he didn't do it. Mr. Bessie and uh, Mrs. Bessie Brown, Booker's mother, visited Tennyson's mother to offer sympathy and told her that she felt Tennyson had nothing to do with her daughter's death. Which can can you imagine? Like one, the having to deal with like your kid killing himself, yeah. then him claiming to be a uh, a murderer, and then having the mother of one of the people he claimed to kill visit you and be like, hey, I know how it feels to lose a child. Uh, I don't think he did. Wow. And essentially offer you sympathy and support. Props to uh, Bessie Brown. Yeah. yeah, that is some fucking next level uh, human decency right there. You know, it's weird, tangentially in my head, you know that scene in Hamilton where... Um, uh, it's quiet uptown, and Eliza forgives him for one having an affair, two publicly spreading the news of the affair, three resulting in the death of their child. That that whole thing, yeah. and then she forgives him, and it always makes me cry. It's like that, right? It hits me right in the feels. And so they found another note, which was, uh, "Please disregard all other messages which I have written. They have only <laughs> thoughts which I was thinking about possible reasons of taking my own." As so I think about it, it is one of these leave. things. Yeah, uh, they are not the reasons for the incident. There's much later point to it all. Happiness, yes, happiness. <laughs> I am out of the way. All the family can do to their own lives. Mother will ha- not have to worry about me making my grades. And daddy, I really don't like that he called him daddy, uh, will not have to put out more money on me, which would do more good than it did in high school. Uh, no one will have to worry about me, keep having to push me through the things which would be best for me. After much thought, I decided to take this way out. It took me more... Yeah, it's... Yeah, I'm not going to read the rest of this because it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, James Freeman, a 16-year-old friend of Tennyson from Texarkana, came forward and talked to a deputy prosecutor after hearing that Tennyson confessed to being the Phantom. Freeman explained that on the night of Virgil Stark's death, they were together at, a, at Tennyson's house playing cards. Um, cards and checkers between 7 p.m. and midnight. That night, they both heard the news of Stark's death. Tennyson's brother, J.D. Jr. and Craig said that confession and suicide were fantastic things induced by reading too many comic books. They both stated that they did not own, uh, not know guns and that they did not care for weapons hunting or shooting. None of the guns that Tennyson would have had access to match bullets used by the Phantom. Furthermore, Craig said that he had not taught Tennyson how to drive a car until the summer of 1947. 
most suspicious thing you just said there is the people from Texarkana claiming that they weren't into guns or hunting or shooting and things. That's suspicious. Yeah. Highly sus. So there's obviously stuff on that where uh, German prisoners of war and other people who may have escaped or may have been released after the war end who couldn't secure safe passage back to um, Nazis. We're talking fucking Nazis. I wouldn't put it above Nazis to become a devil. Of course it gets there. Nazis did it. Right? Everything comes back to Nazis. There you go. Everything comes back to the Nazis. If you leave an unsolved murder unsolved long enough, I think it will, the conspiracy will spiral back to Nazis eventually. Well, yeah, there's also a um, a German prisoner of war was considered a, sus- um, was considered a suspect specifically because a uh, 24-year-old uh, prisoner uh, with brown hair and blue eyes uh, stole a car uh, in Mount Ida, Arkansas, and attempted to buy ammunition in several eastern Oklahoma towns. That's pretty so, stock standard crime for the area, though. Like, Yeah, but it's mostly just because they don't know who could fucking... Yeah. So, but there are a lot of different suspects on this. There's a photo they hypnotized one motherfucker. Uh, it's the it's the cabbie mm-hmm. who they did it to. Uh, there's a bunch of different false confessions. Uh, so really the big takeaway here is uh, we may never have a clear and definitive answer on who yeah. did this. I think Sweeney is probably the most likely. Uh, I think, uh, that there's not really ever going to be any closure on this unless, like, someone takes it upon themselves to do a metric fuck ton of investigative work, which yeah. is not my job. Uh, so, yeah, that's the, that's the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, man. Yeah, and to briefly, I, I, I was debating whether or not we ought to go into um, the town that dreaded sundown, but then you and I, while discussing that movie, decided we both really don't care for it and think that its depiction of the murders is, like, super disrespectful, and yeah. um, it's just kind of, if it was literally, if it wasn't, like, based on a true story about the specific set of murders, it would be an okay run-of-the-mill slasher flick, but uh, as it is, claiming to be based on these real murders and the way it actually handles the deaths of these real real people is like really shitty yeah and specifically, uh, i don't uh, feel like giving it any more time of day i will say the reason so the reason why i think it's shitty is specifically how it handles the murder of betty joe booker so oh betty, Bo- betty joe booker was a uh, saxophone player right and she was shot to death which is what actually happened in the movie they she's moved a 15 year old yeah she's 15 year old keep this in mind in the movie, they trade out the saxophone for a trombone, and they give her the very uh, cheesy, very fucking schlocky, uh, disrespectful way of killing her by having the killer take out the trombone, uh, attach a knife to the end of the sliding arm, and stab her to death while blowing on the trombone. Yeah. That is how they decided to depict the real murder of the 15th. Yeah, that's some hacky shit, and I don't feel like giving it any more time of the day. If, so, and again, if that kill was in any other slasher flick about yeah, if it not was, about if, real people, it would be kind of hilarious. If it was in, like, Friday the 13th, I would have been like, I right, cool, that's yeah, you fine. you put Jason behind the trombone, I'm here for it, but it's supposed to be a but, real person. Yeah, this, is, this is a real-ass kid who got killed. And you can't even do the do because they didn't do this with any other murder. They just did it with murders. Yeah. Uh, so they, it's you couldn't just even do the due diligence. Gross. Yeah. 
Um, I think and like also... I said in the first episode, I feel like there's the potential here because you've got all these compelling cop characters actually like busting ass to try and find this and there's the interpersonal drama going on between all of the victims and their families and the witnesses and all of the stuff like it 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 is a town that dreaded sundown literally like it it's very compelling stuff here there if you wanted to make a movie about this it'd be very easy to make it compelling and interesting and take it to that like zodiac level of um storytelling for an unsolved yeah, crime. I think it'd be very easy to do that, but instead it gets a schlocky slasher flick. What I, I think know. should be done is I think Netflix should start a uh, new series, limited series, called Unsolved, mm-hmm. or uh, High Profile, and cover different high-profile murders or unsolved murders and do it in a limited series that actually gives depth to the investigation mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And do the Texarkana murders in that way, but do it in a respectful, accurate way. Um, yeah. And it's so as not to fucking pull a town that dreaded sundown, which the town that dreaded sundown is a very accurate fucking representation of this town because they would full on like yeah, everyone the got nervous. Yeah, sums it up really perfectly. Yeah. it's just that the film itself does not reflect what was going on. Yeah, and it's just kind of a, a shitty way to go about it. But yeah, so that's that's the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Yeah, um, have fun with that, guys. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us. Next week, we're probably going to talk about something a little bit more uh, relaxed. Wait, I'll come. I'll come up with something fun. We'll do something fun, Charlie. You want to be bad? <laughs> that doesn't sound right. I don't like that. No, uh, I already made a bunch. Of, yeah, didn't like that. Didn't okay. Well then, like fine. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Okay. All right. Fine. Bye. Bye.